because when he's, when he's near, we have everything we need. Our hearts have everything they need. And um, I'm just enjoying worshiping this morning, getting to, you know, I didn't get a handout. Um, so I just got to stand there and look around and watch you sing. And I sang too because I know some of these lyrics. And, um, but it's just wonderful being here with you guys. Like as I look around and I see faces and I see people, like just so much joy wells up in my heart. And I don't want to compare it to being around family these past couple days. But, I mean, it is just a wonderful thing to be here with you, Grace Fellowship family. Um, it's so, so, so good. Uh, we share something uh, eternal together, right? Uh, we have a bond that unites us that's greater than any bond, blood included, on this earth. And that's so, so, so glorious. It's Christ's blood. And um, it is good to be here. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 1, verse 26 is where we're going to be today. Um, figure I'll start off this December 26th message with a... Uh, Something that I didn't write in my notes, but something that happened last night that's just too good not to share. Um, we, we are finishing basically like two full days of Christmas uh, coming off of that. And last night, our house is an absolute wreck. Like, my wife, she bakes wherever we go because our kids can't have a lot of stuff, like basically anything. So she bakes these magical muffins with I don't know what's in them. Uh, because our kids can't have the good stuff that goes in muffins, but uh, and cupcakes and so. But our, our kitchen is a mess. It's absolute wreck. Our house is a wreck from all these toys that we can't fit in there. We're gonna have to move some furniture and some beds out just to fit all the toys in. And uh, and and our house, just so you know, is a, a space where we don't wear our shoes. Like we take our shoes off here, so so we don't like track dirt in. But somehow, our floor, our hardwood floors. They've got some nasty stuff on them. My wife last night was on her hands and knees picking up some toys, and I looked. Guys, she has the blackest as soot grocery store feet you've ever seen in your life. It was disgusting. And I said, baby, your feet. And, uh, and then I went, uh-oh. And I looked at my feet, black as soot. Guys, our house was nasty. And so she had asked just like 30 minutes prior if we were going to gather the kids and kind of tell a Christmas story. And, uh, and then it hit me as soon as I saw her feet and my feet, and I said, we've got a story, all right. And so we all headed into the bathroom, and we talked about how Jesus did not come to be served, but he came to serve and give his life a ransom for many, and we had a foot washing at our home last night. Um, out of necessity, but also, it was a great story. Our kids had all kinds of questions, and it was fantastic. It turned out to be really, really good. So there's just a note. All life's problems may lead to cool uh, endings, so if you don't get mad about the black feet, our home looks a little better now. But Luke 1, 26, last week we were in Luke 4, and, uh, and we're moving backwards just as the whole Advent series has been doing, moving backwards. Um, this week we're looking at the Father. If our, if our thing was up there, you would see it says Father, uh, the one who gives. The Father is the giver. And, uh, and as just a quick recap for those of you that haven't been with us, this Advent series, this is the fifth week. The first week we looked at uh, where the whole world is heading, the eschaton, the end of the age. We looked at the second week, how we're going to get there, which is through the mission that God has given us. The third week, we looked at discipleship, what, what we do in the here and now as God's church and how discipleship is so imperative for God's church to reach the world. And then last, we looked at how all of it's going to be accomplished and we saw that it's all going to be accomplished through our Savior, Jesus. 
And so today we go back to the Father to look at all the good things the Father gives us. So Luke 1, 26 through 38, it says, In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and he of his kingdom there will be no end and mary said to the angel how will this be since i am a virgin and the angel answered her the holy spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you therefore the child to be born will be called holy the son of god and behold your relative elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with god And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father, this is your word, and we're thankful that you have given it to us. Now we ask, Father, would you please give us understanding? We are needy people, Father, but we know you delight in giving. Thank you for all the good gifts, but especially the good gifts that we will see in your word today. May you be exalted in our hearts this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in our text this morning, we clearly see the giving nature of our Father through this encounter with the angel Gabriel and Mary. And while the first person of the Trinity is not explicitly named in this text, We know from the rest of Scripture that the Father is the one orchestrating all that is taking place. So what we'll be focusing on in this passage is four things that we see the Father give. Four things that we see the Father give. The first is favor. In verse 26 and 27, we read that Gabriel is sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name is Mary. Luke is telling us a few things in order to set the stage for this encounter between Gabriel and Mary. First, he tells us that this is the, the, the birth of his son, or well, the hometown of his son, will be in the not-so-desirable town of Nazareth. Remember when Nathaniel is called by his brother Philip, and Philip says, Nathaniel, we found the Messiah. He's from Nazareth. Remember Nathaniel's response? He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Luke also tells us that Mary is a virgin and that she's betrothed or engaged to Joseph. Now, culturally, it mattered a whole bunch in Israel who was in your lineage, but especially for our story, it matters what lineage Jesus will come out of. As the Old Testament prophecy states that the Messiah will come out of the house of David. So Luke gives us that detail. So these seem like minor details, but uh, in the story, they are actually major points that we need to keep up with. They're major pieces. So verse 28 then says this. Gabriel came to her and said, 
Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And there it is, the Father's favor. Now, why did Mary have the Father's favor? We have to ask that question. We don't know. But what we do know is that if we look back in the scriptures, the favor of the Lord places her in a pretty awesome line of people. You want to hear the list? Noah in Genesis 6-8 had the favor of the Lord. Abraham in Genesis 18 had the favor of the Lord. Joseph's brothers even in Genesis 43 found favor with the Lord. They weren't mistreated by their brother that they mistreated. Gideon in Judges 6. Hannah in 1 Samuel 1. And King David in 2 Samuel 15. All of these were said to have the favor of the Lord. But here's what I want you to hear. Daryl Bach, who writes, and some would say the best commentary on the book of Luke. He says this. In the Old Testament, the phrase often involves a request granted on the condition that someone had favor with God. However, here, this favor is announced without any hint of a request. It is freely bestowed. The Greek noun charis becomes a key term in Acts to describe what God does for his people out of his good pleasure. Mary is about to receive freely the special favor of God. She is a picture, he says, of those who receive God's grace on the basis of his kind initiative. That is good. Paul will later expound on this idea in Ephesians 1 when he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us, there's that word charis, in the beloved. That's such good news. So the Father gives us favor. This favor is not just for a service or a task, but this favor is for salvation. It's for our redemption. He has set his love upon us, church. That's why when we gather together, we should smile so big. We are the redeemed. And now while this might sound amazing, it is amazing, let's be honest. It can be a little scary when an angel of the Lord shows up to your house and tells you this. Mary thought so. It's what we see in verse 29. It says that she was greatly troubled and tried to discern what the angel meant by this greeting. The idea that a holy and righteous God who runs the whole universe has chosen you is a little bit overwhelming, right? You mean he's freely decided to show me favor? Well, what have I done? I don't deserve this. Why would he do this? Why would he choose me? You see, this biblical truth is incredibly humbling. Humbling. In Deuteronomy 7, God says to Israel, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you. 
and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. Churches, as I sat and meditated upon this truth last night, I just had to stop and weep. I was overwhelmed. I mean, when you look at any of our track records in here, what we've done in secret and in public, what we've said, what we've thought, none of us deserve this favor. But the Lord... By his grace, free grace, at his will and desire, says, I love you. You, praise God. Praise God. The Father has freely chosen to give us favor. Secondly, the Father gives us his son. Verse 31 says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him to the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So the son's name is Jesus. (laughs) And there is no sweeter name. No more wonderful name. The angel says he will be great. Which is the same thing that that the angel said about his cousin John. He said that he would be great, John the Baptist. But more is said of Jesus. It says, he will be called the son of the most high God. Or in some of your translations, the son of the highest. Now the Greek term that Luke uses for the highest is the same one used in the Septuagint, which is just the Greek version of the Old Testament that Luke would have used. It's the same one used in the Septuagint to translate the Hebrew The most high God. It's the same phrase. Therefore, here the angel is telling Mary that her son would be equal to the most high God. That's earth shattering. Especially for a Jew. That's, that's, That's wild. Your son will be equal to the most high God. He is God. And we know from Aaron's talk last week that He would be truly God and truly man. That is what is understood as the hypostatic union. Now I want to caution you. (laughs) Trying to understand the hypostatic union will cause your brain to hurt. But ignoring it, ignoring it will be detrimental for your faith. Your faith will be weak at best. Don't ignore things you can't understand. Believe them by faith. And receive the grace that God gives from these things that are so far above our understanding. We're also told that he will have the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. This This very clearly means that he would be the Mashiach. Remember that term from last week? Israel's Messiah and our Savior. One whose kingdom will what? No, no, end. Won't be like the Maccabean revolt that reforms lasted a generation. No, it will know no end. It will go on forever. Now, Jesus being born into this world is known as the incarnation. It's mysterious and wildly fascinating. There's a wonderful book that Athanasius writes called On the Incarnation. It's very, very old. 
but I would, I would tell you, like, buy that. It's like six bucks. I've read it like two and a half times. The half was because I had to do a research paper on it, but uh, it's an excellent read. It's an excellent read, to Athanasius. Uh, he gave his life to defending the incarnation because people were trying to say, no, 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 Jesus can't be truly God and truly man. It doesn't make sense. It's not logically impossible. It's logically impossible. In fact, today, 1.8 billion Muslims would tell you bluntly that God cannot become man. He cannot do it. And many others would say that notion is silly. But our faith is built on the glorious truth that the Father did not even withhold the crown jewel of heaven from us. He loved us so much that he sent his only son to take a body, to be man and God. Emmanuel, God with us to save us. And being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Check this out. To the glory of God the Father. <laughs> you see that? The Father is glorified in his giving. Especially by the giving of his son. Verse 34. Mary has a question. <laughs> now her question is not about the hypostatic union. It's not about the incarnation, as glorious and as important as those doctrines are. Mary's wondering what any of you young women would be wondering, or any of you older women who used to be young would be wondering in this moment. She's wondering, look at verse 34, how will this be since I'm a virgin? That's where her mind's at, because that seems impossible to me. This young woman's just trying to figure out how a virgin gets pregnant. And this just shows. Like, while there's so much stuff here, you know, if we could go back, we'd be like, Mary, Mary, don't you understand what is being said to you? Let me tell you about these glorious doctrines and truth. This young woman's just wondering, I'm a virgin, how can I be pregnant? We all have our own questions in our own moment. But check out verse 35 for the answer to her question. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called the Holy Son of God. The third thing that the Father graciously gives us is his Holy Spirit. That's what the Father gives. Now, much has been made here in this, uh, in this passage, in this, in this verse, about the wording of it. As if the wording of this verse is going to shed light on exactly how the conception of the Son of God happened by the Holy Spirit. It's silly to me. It's much like trying to go back to Genesis 1 when we see the Holy Spirit uh, uh, hovering over the formless void and trying to figure out with the wording, okay, how did the Holy Spirit bring it to pass? How did these atoms and how do these all these things come to get that's that's not why the text is there <laughs> it's there so that we would know 
the Holy Spirit is God. And the Holy Spirit is the life-giving spirit of the Father and of the Son. And the Holy Spirit is doing work that is incomprehensible to man. Just like he did in Genesis 1. So the thing to be focusing on here is God giving his creative, life-giving spirit to Mary in order to carry out his plan. God's going to get his work done. He's going to get it done. This is the third person of the Trinity. In the Old Testament, it was common for the Holy Spirit to overshadow God's people at different times for different reasons, to accomplish different things. But with this overshadowing, the Father's Son would be conceived in Mary's womb. And as Carlton said on Thursday night, this would be the beginning of the end. This is it. (laughs) Jesus would be born and then empowered by the same Holy Spirit to go to war against Satan, sin, and death. And he would be victorious, thus winning our freedom forever. Now, thanks to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance. An inheritance, we've been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And in him, you were sealed, church, with the promise of the Holy Spirit, with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory again. (laughs) We have the gift of God's Holy Spirit given to us as his church. As his redeemed people. So may we not ever wonder. Well how's God's going to get this accomplished? I mean I just, I just don't understand how, how there's a way here. He's given you his spirit. To carry out whatever he's told you to do. The very same spirit that caused a virgin to become pregnant. And church, may we also not ever be people who allow the problems of this world to overshadow the glorious inheritance that awaits us on the other side. John 14 says the Holy Spirit was given to you by your Father to remind you of the truths of the gospel. The truths that this is not your best life. It's not. So walk by His Spirit Fourthly, he gives assurance. Verse 36 and 37 says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. So not only does God give us favor, he gives us his son to accomplish the work. He gives us his spirit as the down payment, but he also gives us the word of assurance. The Father is gracious by surrounding us with examples of his faithfulness, just like he did for Mary. God the Father says, your relative, your relative, she became pregnant and she was called barren, just down the road. Meanwhile, for us, church, God has given us an entire book 
with example after example after example after example of his faithfulness. That he doesn't lie. He always sticks to his word and he will accomplish what he has said he will accomplish. But he also gives us daily examples of his faithfulness that we so often overlook. This is one area where I think we as a church could do a little more focusing of our attention. When God blesses our lives, our businesses, our children, our homes, when he makes a way where it seems like there is no way, we should testify about his goodness. We shouldn't stay silent. We are those, church, who are blessed and highly favored. We joke around about that, about the office. Blessed and highly favored. It's in the word. We are. (laughs) We are those people. We're blessed and highly favored whether we have little or much on this earth. Whether we have a fruitful womb or a barren womb, we are blessed and highly favored. Whether we find ourselves having success at everything we touch or having a ministry that's characterized by failure, we are blessed and highly favored. Because we know that whatever God has given us here on this earth is temporary. Its purpose is to sanctify our hearts and bring him glory. This is not our home. But I want to warn you to be careful with false humility by not boasting about the wonderful things that God has done in your life. Other Christians need to hear that our God is a giver. This world needs to hear that our God is a giver. He gives and gives and gives and he loves to give. He's glorified in his giving, as we said earlier. And I understand that sometimes we stay quiet because we know that many have a terribly hard time in life. We know that many people's lives don't look blessed and highly favored. But this is where those of us that see it should comfort those of us who can't see it in certain moments. We should wrap our arms around one another and love each other as we encourage one another's souls. We will all have times of dark clouds. Even if it seems like, well, Lord, this person, it just always goes their way and nothing ever goes my way. Somebody needs to wrap their arm around you and remind you, our Father has given us assurance And we, church, must pass this gift on, assuring one another. And yes, a drowning person will try to drown the one who comes to rescue them. So don't be surprised when you wrap your arms around people and try to encourage their soul. And all they give you back is discouragement. Can I please say, not even then is it okay To say, well, I tried, done with you, cut you off, not going to ruin my life. And I've actually seen people online post about this kind of stuff. And it gets shared wildly. Like, I'm done with these people in my family. They just keep dragging me down. Do you know the Lord is never done with any of us? Never. 
He chases us down like a good father, and we should do the same. Our hearts should well up and want to continue to reach and love and reach and love and assure and reach and love until the day we draw our last breath. And the the ridicule or the discouragement or the bad words that people say about you, it will be your suffering for Christ. They did the same to him. Just keep preaching. Keep preaching to others. Give them assurance. Preach in love and gentleness and pray that they would receive his assurance. And this brings us to our end this morning as we've looked at how God gives us favor, his son, his spirit, and assurance. In this moment, we must ask, what is our response to these gifts? Our response is to simply receive them by faith. Receive them. And how do you receive God's good gifts? He says in his word, believing is receiving. Believing. Trusting is all your father desires when he opens up the heavens and rains down blessing. And many of us think, well, that's easy. I I, I believe. No, you don't understand believing. It is so opposite of our nature to believe and trust in God's provision and God's good gifts. It's so opposite our nature. Our nature is to be self-sufficient. We think that we have to make it. We think that we have to find what we're looking for. Some of you are sitting here this morning And you're hearing all about Jesus and you're saying to yourself, I hope that it's short today so I can get out of here and go actually get what I actually need for me. Because it's not Jesus. You're looking for something else that won't satisfy you, that won't sustain you, that won't fill your heart. And you'll get emptied and hollowed out over and over and over again. God loves you, and I pray that he'll continue to put you in a place where you hear about his love for you, that he desires that you would believe in him and gain the riches of heaven. And then there are some of you who are saved, but in your walk with Jesus, You listen to every message. You read your Bibles trying to figure out what it is you need to do to give back. What you need to do with this debt now that you have because you've received salvation and you've received the Father's love. And you always have an angst in your heart like, it's just not good enough. I'm just not good enough. I just, just, I just got to do more for him. He's done so much for me. I just, I don't do enough for him. And can I tell you that the Father's not pleased with that? Just like when I gave my kids Christmas presents. If they would have rejected those presents and said, no, Daddy, I can't play with that. I don't deserve to play with that. I don't deserve to, to ride in this princess carriage. I don't, I, no, Daddy, I'm not going to do it. I would be ticked. 
mainly because I'm a bad father and I spent a lot of money on the princess carriage. Get in it. (laughs) But our father is not happy with this attitude because he created you that he would fulfill you and sustain you. And you rejecting him and rejecting his gifts and rejecting his grace, trying to well up on your own, is the worst thing you can possibly do to God. It tells him, you don't know what you're doing. I should be God. And we don't realize that we're saying all that when we try and we think these are things in our hearts. But we, I want to encourage you, just receive what God has for you. Believe and trust that you're never going to be enough. That's why Christ came. Because he always has been. (laughs) And then I want to say a word to some of you in here who you believe the gospel. You trust in Christ's righteousness for yourself. But you constantly have made a habit of stiff-arming his church. Now you wouldn't say you're stiff-arming his church. But you refuse to allow God's church to help you. You've made yourself not in need of any help. You've become self-sufficient. Whether it be by your wealth. Or by your, it's my problem, I just got to deal with it attitude. And can I tell you, as your pastor and as an ambassador of the gospel, that's not good either. If you're thinking of yourself as you sit here this morning, as you're just a giver to God's church and you're never a taker, I don't want to be a taker of God's church, that's not great. It's not. God's church is a blessing to you to to give to you. And you might think to yourself, don't you want people to be givers? Absolutely. But not givers over here and takers over here. We want everyone to give and receive, give and receive, give and receive. That's a healthy believer. And that's a healthy church. So don't let anything stand in the way of you receiving God's grace to you. One of the beautiful, I think the most, yeah, one of the most beautiful things about Grace Fellowship is I've sat across the table from some of the most well-off people in this room who don't need anything from anybody because if if they need it, they could just write a check for it. And I've watched them weep at how much they need this fellowship. God's grace in this community. God's grace in his word. They're needy people. But this world would tell them, you're not needy. And they would say, oh, but I am. And those people are seeing clearly. So I hope this morning that you would see clearly. You're a child. You're a needy child. But there's good news that our Father is a giver, and he delights to give. So would you receive him this morning? Carlton's going to come and help us respond. 